Hi, and welcome to Cameron's Baptist Church Sermons Podcast. We hope you're blessed by today's message. All right, um, please make sure you have your Bibles with you. I mean, Steve's got the text to project up on the screen, but I think it's always nice to have maybe a little bit of paper or your phones with you. We're going to be mostly in uh, Matthew today. And... Um, yeah, so for the avoidance of any doubt and for this to make a little bit more sense, and for those of you who've not been here or who don't know me, I am currently experiencing my first pregnancy. Uh, <laughs> I am uh, 26 weeks now, so closer to the end than I am to the beginning. And more and more, God has shown me the importance of living one day at a time. Those of you who know me well know that I want to live every day at the same time. Uh, for better or worse, but uh, I'm learning really to live one day at a time. I'm not going to bore you with the details um, of the last 26 weeks, but there have been a lot of things that I have and have not experienced so far that I was not expecting. Um, And as some of you might know, the journey to having a child is full of waiting. It's not dissimilar from a lot of other things in our lives, like when you're going through school and when you're applying for jobs and and you know, buying a house or, or anything like that. Anything important in life requires waiting. However, one of the most important things that I've come to realize in my 26 years is how you wait is important. How do you behave when, when you're waiting? And as a church, we've been told many times in the last months and couple of years that God is doing something new in our midst and he's bringing us into a new chapter So my message today really is for Cameron's Baptist Church members, but I'm sure those of you who are visiting us will be able to glean some wisdom as well from it, I hope. So for you, I want you to reflect on what your posture is at this time. Uh, Do you sit and wait or do you do and wait? As ever, the the words of Ecclesiastes come to mind. Um, There is a time for everything, including a time for sitting still and the time for doing nothing. Uh, So we're going to think a little bit on that today. So shall we pray before we begin? Lord, I thank you for all the good that you do and all of the good that you continue to do in us and through us and for us. I ask that your Holy Spirit may come this morning and soften our hearts so that we can hear you and understand what you have to share with us today. I ask that you make me a blessing uh, to your church this morning, Lord, and make me worthy to share uh, what's on my heart today. And I also pray that you may fill us with this feeling of hopeful expectation for what you are going to do amongst us. And I pray that somehow our lives may be transformed this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit and not because of anything that I say or do. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, Uh, so there are two creatures that uh, inspired me uh, with this subject today. I use the word creature very deliberately because one of the creatures that inspired me is a child, it's my godson, and the other one that inspired me is my cat. Uh, Please indulge me on this one. Please follow the analogy. I promise it will make a little bit of sense. So my cat, um, my sisters found him last year just before the start of the summer out there, here in the back. By my dad's office, he was naked and crying and a little bit ugly and scraggly. But his story is a a beautiful one, actually, for another day. But he has needs, 
Okay, like every living thing, it, he has needs, uh, but he can't speak. He surely meows and makes all kinds of noises, but he definitely communicates with James and I in other ways. We are first-time cat owners, and we've had him now for just over a year. Um, and without him being able to speak, by now we can usually kind of tell what he wants and what he needs. If he's hungry, or if he wants to play, or if he just wants to be pet, Funnily enough, usually the answer is he wants to be pet. He's not, well, yes, he, he does like treats and whatever, but he loves to be pet. He's very affectionate. But he is also very perceptive. Um, it was sometimes during the night he sleeps um, by my feet on the bed. And during the night he perceives that I'm awake because I wake often in the night, pregnant or not. Um, I, I wake up in the night. And he, because cats, the way that they sleep and their nature, the way that God has made them, they're constantly alert. And the way he positions himself at the foot of our bed, facing the door with his backs to us, it's a, it's a defensive posture. He's protecting us uh, during the night from, I don't know, spiders or something. Who knows what goes on his furry little head. But he knows when I'm awake because he can hear the difference in my breathing. And when he perceives that I'm awake, he comes over up to my elbows and shoulders very gently and he starts going like this on the duvet very softly because he wants me to pet him. Um, in the night and then he lies down right next to me sometimes he really presses on me and he starts to purr and then he goes back to sleep and then I am a bit more relaxed and then I go back to sleep and then when I wake up in the morning he's all the way down by my feet again and I didn't even didn't even notice and something that was really funny is one day last week I wasn't feeling very well pregnant women you know how it is and then I started crying to James uh, and I was just, I think we were in the kitchen, and I was just hugging him, and I was crying. I don't even remember the reason anymore. And in the middle of, of, of hugging my husband and crying and, and having that comfort, I felt the familiar touch of a pair of soft little paws up my leg and in the small of my back. He was on a chair, and he's going like this on me while I'm crying, and I just cried even more, obviously. Um, but he, clearly, he is a somewhat socially intelligent being. He can communicate with a member of a different species, even though we speak and communicate completely differently. And, and that's one thing as well that always amazes me of having this four-legged thing in my house, is how God, God's creation is so amazing in so many things. You know, you look at a cat and you think, well, you know, special about that. Some people probably don't like cats and probably thinking that I'm crazy, but... God is amazing in everything that he does. And I see him, you know, and the, the creativity and the mind of God in this tiny little thing that runs around my house chasing after scrunched up paper. But one thing that strikes me the most about, uh, that struck me the most about my guinea, that's my cat one day, just kind of out of the blue, I was just looking at him. When he comes to me, um, his little face is very cute. I was going to get some pictures, but it's, he's very cute but he's always full of expectation. He comes to me and he looks at me, he's got these big round eyes and, and it seems like his pupils are permanently dilated, but he looks at me full of expectation. He's got all these different expressions, but that one of expectation really struck me uh, one day. He knows cognitively to an extent that I provide his food, that I give him affection when he wants it and I will play with him, I will fulfill that kind of social need that he has as a social creature. And so he actively expects that I will fulfill the needs for him that he cannot do on his own. I don't let him go outside, so he can't bring dead things into my house and he can't eat mice or whatever, so I have to, I have to feed him. And he knows that, that I do that. 
Now, my godson is three, soon to be four. And um, in August, we had a, his uncle got married and we went to Denmark because the wife is, is Danish. There were some issues with my godson's mom's Schengen visa, whatever. They didn't do it at the last minute, so she couldn't come. But because it was his brother's wedding, obviously Sandy um, had, had to go and, and, and brought my godson. And I was so surprised because we, we see them kind of often and interact with him, but this was the first time we spent several days together. And something that I realized as well about the character of God and the way that he relates with us and how we should relate to him was through Caden's behavior in this, these five uh, or so days that we were there in Denmark. His mom couldn't be there, but he was still okay. He didn't have any meltdowns. He was extremely, uh, in, in extremely good humor, and he was completely fine. He's a lovely little boy, very well behaved, very cheerful, because he knew that his dad would provide for him everything that he needed. Okay, His dad would provide for him everything that he needed, and he would come to his dad with this expectation of this is the person that's going to fulfill my needs when I cannot do it myself. He wouldn't come and ask me uh, for anything because, you know, like, sure, he knows me, but not, not like that. He wouldn't ask James. He wouldn't ask my sisters. He would play with us and whatever. and say, you know, you want to come and be held? He would go and hold our hands. But when he needed something like food or toilet, he would go uh, to, to his dad and ask him for it. But even when sometimes certain needs couldn't be fulfilled, like, he wanted to be carried, but, or, or he wanted to go in the pushchair, but he couldn't. One day we were going to the station and we all had our, our bags and we couldn't carry him. He didn't cry. He didn't make a scene. He just accepted it. Okay, not now, but later. And he's only three. And I was really surprised by that. Um, you know, he, he was, and he was fine. Um, and so if we can turn to Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 to 4, please. Where is my... Matthew 18, verses 1 to 4, Jesus says, well, the, it says here, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We must then look to the Lord like in the same way that children look to their parents, with a certainty and an expectation that our needs will be met, the ones that we cannot fulfill ourselves. To have a childlike faith is to be trusting, it is to be eager, and it is to be earnest and positively questioning in our waiting. And then if we turn a few pages back to Matthew eleven twenty-five, Here Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. So God reveals his truth to those who seek him in earnest, who seek him out like children seek their parents. 
Jesus talks about children and wise and learned men. They are all seekers of knowledge, and they all seek truth in their own ways. Asking questions like how, and every kid's favorite, why? But often the wise and the, not, and the learned seek knowledge to aggrandize themselves, to make themselves greater, to somehow gain power or, I don't know, laurels. But children and those with childlike hearts seek to know so that they can understand. And this is something that's done without malice, or without ulterior motives. A child is asking you why, because they don't know. They don't have any precedent. They don't have any frame of reference for why things are the way that they are, or what is happening, and why is it happening in that way. They ask because they truly want to know. They want to understand, because they don't have that knowledge. But they're not asking so that they can manipulate you. They're not asking so that they can take advantage of you. They're not asking so that they can put themselves in a better social position. They ask because they truly want to know. And this is why Jesus says that God reveals the truth of his word to little children, because there is no malice. There is no evil intent in their hearts. Children are often trusting creatures because their little eyes and their little hearts have not yet been open to see the deceptions of this world. That's why they need parents. And despite their trusting nature, anyone who's interacted with a child above the age of three for more than a few minutes knows that they all, all that they want to know is why. And now obviously we know that there is a difference between being childlike and childish. Uh, I work with children, I work with teenagers, I'm a secondary school teacher, and I see a lot of childish behaviors from children from whom I would expect better. And I tell them, say, you're too old for this. Cut this nonsense. I don't want this strop. I tell them to their faces. I'm like, what, what are you having a strop for? What's the reason for your tantrum? I've not asked you anything difficult. I'm, I'm a bit mean sometimes. Um, <laughs> but it works. And, and that's what we cannot be. We cannot be childish. We must be childlike. That's a positive connotation. Childish is always a, a, bad, a bad thing. We cannot have tantrums when we don't get our way. We can't throw ourselves on the floor and roll around and say, God, but I wanted the cookie crisp cereals. Why didn't you give me that? That's not the way. Now, another thing that a lot of people know about children is that they're very active, usually. Mine is already, and she's not even out yet. Um, she's really busy all of the time. Whenever I sit down, I definitely know about it. Um, and God wants us to assume a very similar posture in our waiting, which is also something that Jesus is very clear about earlier in Matthew uh, chapter 7, please, verses 7 to 11. Jesus says, if my pages would unstick. Hello. Ooh. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Please let us note the type of verbs that Jesus has used in these verses. Ask, seek, knock. These are all dynamic verbs. They're all active things. They suggest 
movement and an active doing. These are things that you actually have to go and do. You don't just sit and let them happen. It requires some kind of agency, some sort of initiative on your part. You have to do them. And as such, we must be active participants in our faith so that we can rejoice in the fulfilling of God's promises. We cannot sit idly by and just expect things to work out and expect things to fall into our laps. You know, people, are, lots of people have been saying to us and we have been praying and we have been feeling from God that he is bringing something new to the church, but we can't just sit here uh, with a phrase that my mother likes to use, like paralytic mummies, and I mean like these kind of mummies, and just do nothing and just be dead. We can't do that. We have to be active. We can't expect things to fall into our laps. Likewise, we also cannot dive headfirst into everything and anything on a whim and expect then God to clean up the mess when it all comes crashing down. We were talking about this on Thursday um, at the Bible study here at the house group. And, uh, you know, we were saying about doing the will of God and, and such. And I said something that my dad uh, <laughs> told me before when I was a teenager. You can't just do what you want and then expect God to undersign your mistakes and, and, and clean up your mess. It's not like he won't rescue you if you're in trouble, but he gives you the wisdom so that you don't put yourself in certain situations in the first place. So we've got to use that, that wisdom. And sometimes blind faith is easier because it can require very little of us. But I'm of the mind that an easy blind faith is actually very dangerous and it's not really a, a risk that you should be willing to take. There are several passages in scripture that talk about the opening of both physical and spiritual eyes. And so then I am hard pressed to believe that God wants us to sit with our eyes firmly shut and willfully closed while he works all of these wonders around us. Imagine that you've gone snorkeling in the Great Barrier Reef or Philippines or the Caribbean or somewhere and you stick your head in the water and you just keep your eyes closed because the whole time, because you just trust and you know, I use these air quotes very heavily, you just trust and know that it's gonna be great because that's what was promised to you. I've seen a lot of people uh, do things blindly uh, because they trust and they know that God is gonna do something, but then they get there and, and that's, that's not the case at all. And then they find themselves in a difficult situation that was not what God had told them whatsoever. Instead, we must open our eyes and stick those goggles on very firmly. Uh, and that's the kind of sound that it makes when you properly suction it on. <laughs> and so that you can see and experience the wonders of God's promises. You would be doing yourself and God a disservice to go to a place like that and keep your eyes closed because you just trust and you know that it's going to be great because that's what you were promised. The psalmist exhorts us uh, in Psalm 34 verse 8 to taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. God made this world to be beautiful. He made us promises so that we can see them be fulfilled and come to fruition. He does not want us to sit idly by with our eyes closed and just hope that everything is going to be okay because God said it would be. The author of Hebrews also broaches this subject of being an active participant in faith with very helpful clarity. So if we could now turn all the way over to Hebrews chapter 10, please. Verses 19 to 25. 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching, the day being the day of the Lord. I've highlighted here verse 22, and then bits of 23, 24, and 25. And then where I've highlighted are further underlined. Let us draw near to God. Again, this dynamic verb. You've got to be active. You have to actually physically do it. You have to go. But you must have a sincere heart like a child. What a surprise. And we need to be willing to have our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Now, this is something that is done to us. But still... We must be there to present our hearts, to have this done to us. So while the cleansing is something that is done to us by God, because we cannot do it ourselves, we still have to put ourselves in a position where we can receive this cleansing and to be washed with this pure water. The next verse, there's not an image that came to my head when I was preparing it yesterday, but it's definitely just popped in now. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope. A mechanical bull comes to mind. Anyone seen those videos, you know, people are on those mechanical bulls at these like American rodeo shows or whatever, and some in Brazil as well. You've got to hold on if you don't want to get thrown. And that's how the world is. That's how it feels sometimes. You're there, and it's bucking. And you're like, the legs are going, and your arms are flapping around. But if you hold on, you know, you might come up with some bruises, but you might not fall off if you hold properly. So you've got to hold unswervingly to the hope. You know, Jesus is very clear in this world you will have trials and tribulations, but fear not, I have overcome the world. And that's where our hope is, and we've got to hold on to that unswervingly. That means without deviating, without going off the path that he's traced for us. Because he who promised is faithful. And also, the author of Hebrews highlights the importance of unity in doing this together. Okay, in doing it together. Uh, once a week, every other week, I tutor a son of a family friend who's now in year 11. I just do a little favor for them to help him out because he's struggling with English. And to be quite honest with you, the teacher's not very good from what he says. Um, and, but that's a one-to-one. Okay? That's a very different experience for me as a teacher and for him as a pupil to be there on the one-to-one. And that's important. But where you see the most development with children is when they're in groups with their peers where they can learn from one another. You know, I designed my seating plans, and I look at these kids, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit this person with this person because I know he's very good at this, and he's not very good at that, so they can pull each other up on their weaknesses. And there is lots of research to show that that's how this works. I saw something the other day that really surprised me, actually, and then I mentioned this to a parent, 
at a year 10 parents meeting two weeks ago. As a teacher, I only have 18% of input on the child's outcomes at the end of year 11 when they're 16 years old and they do their final exams. Of all the hours, the countless hours, the seen and the unseen that I spend preparing and working for them, all my work only counts for 18% on average of their outcomes. The majority of the rest is up to them. They have to make the right choices. And where children thrive is in environments with their peers. And so, and especially when they encourage one another and when you have this positive classroom culture where they can say, help each other and they're happy to make mistakes and so on. And that's what we should try to emulate is this positive classroom culture uh, in, in the congregation where we're willing to learn from one another and we're willing to exhort one another and to say, actually, hang on a minute, this thing that you said the other day is not quite right or, you know, I feel like this is really great that you're doing, carry on and encourage one another. But obviously, everything in love. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, you might be wondering why we do all these things and why we can. So why are we able to have this childlike faith? Why should we strive so hard to maintain it? Obviously, it's important to grow and to be mature, but that doesn't mean that we have to stop with that childlike posture of earnestness. But we're only able to do these things, to have a childlike faith and to then be this active participant because God is the perfect father, because he is unchanging and because he is faithful. So we can only do all of the above because of who he is. In some similar ways, my godson was fine for a short while without his mother because he's confident in his father's character and, and also in his father's character and in, in the father's relative position to him as a provider. And then, obviously, my cat only comes to me with his enormous, seemingly permanently dilated pupils and his clearly expectant little face because even as an animal, even as an irrational being, he has been able to connect me with food, affection, play, and security, which is everything that he needs to be a happy cat and not a miserable one on the streets anymore. And so we can be secure in our knowledge of God's character, not because we have to connect the dots and figure out who he is. God is not a faraway, mystical being that is so far removed from you that you could never dream of knowing him. He's not. He's a personal God. And he wants to be here with you, like the French say, tête-à-tête, tête, right? He wants to be face-to-face -face with you there and have a personal and a unique relationship, one that works between you and him that might not be the same as the relationship that God has with my husband or with my mother or with my siblings or with my dad or with my friends. It's personal. It's for you, between you and him. And he tells us extremely clearly who he is so that there is no room for guessing. Now, it wouldn't be me if we didn't go back to the Old Testament. So Exodus chapter 34, please, verses 5 to 7. Maybe some of you thought that I'd finally do a full New Testament sermon. Well, here you go. Can't stay away. This is one of the most requoted verses in the Bible. Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 to 7. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, <clears throat> Moses, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. 
Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. This is a whole sermon in itself. But the point, my point here is, this is what God says about himself. And if you are to take nothing else away from the Bible, let it be this. This is who God says he is. This is who God says he is. And so, whatever else, you take him at his word. God is not a man to lie, to deceive, to try and trick you. He is truthful and he is faithful and unchanging like we sang today. And that is why we can trust in him and that is why we can have these expectations and that is why we should come expectant to the Lord. And that is how we maintain this childlike faith is with that endless expectation. God, what will you do in my life today? And how can I do it with you? And why are we doing this together? Doubt is not a bad thing. It's not. It's a teaching moment. It's what you do with the doubt that matters. I remember the first time I saw an angry psalm, an angry David psalm. I was shocked. I went to my dad later and said, Dan, how does he think he can say these things to God? How dare he? Who does this David guy think he is saying these things? Oh, God, how could you have forgotten me? Is he mad? I thought I was very little. 11 maybe, I don't know. I was shocked that anyone would have the audacity to speak to God that way because that was the posture of my childlike heart. I would never dream of talking to God like that. And, and as big of a mouth as I had, I would not dream of speaking to my parents like how David spoke to God. <laughs> I thought it was absurd. But then my dad explained to me that God doesn't want us to hide. We can see our feelings anyway. He knows what's in here. Before we, the word reaches our mouths, he knows what we're going to say. He knows all of our needs and he's ready to supply them. But still we have to go and do. We still have to go and ask so that we don't miss out on the blessing. You know, I think so many times people feel like God is not acting in their lives. That's because they're not looking. They're sat there with their eyes closed. And just because God knows what you need doesn't mean that you shouldn't go and ask for it. Because ultimately, it's not for God that you do that. It's for you, for your benefit, so that you can then see his glory. And you can say, actually, up until now, the Lord has been my helper. He has been my provider. And long will he continue. We ask because we will receive. We knock because the door will be opened. We seek because we will find it. And so I'd like to invite you today to reflect on this question. How do you expect when you're expecting? Are you childlike or childish? Are you active or are you passive in your faith? Are you confidently expectant or are you blindly hoping for the best? I would urge you to think long and hard on your posture before the Lord as he brings us into a new season as a church. And for those of you who are visiting us today, Likewise, I would urge you to think long and hard about your posture before the Lord because he can and is willing 
to do a new thing in your life. You have but to seek him. First, his kingdom above all things and all else will be added to you. We talked a lot on Thursday about, you know, uh, all the verses about not worrying what you shall eat or what you shall be dressed with because look at the birds and the grass and the flowers and whatever. They're here today, gone tomorrow. So how much more aren't you worth? So rather than being childish in that panic and despair and uncertainty, let's be childlike in our ruthless expectation of all of the wonderful things that God can do, our unrelenting expectation of the goodness of our Father, of our good and perfect Father. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. If you want more information about Camrose Baptist Church, visit our website, www.camrosebc.org.uk. Follow us on Instagram at Camrose Baptist Church and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Camrose Baptist Church Edgeware.